Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back. Special Saturday edition. I was actually planning on taking today off, but not Draymond Green and TMZ had a few other plans for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess we're going to be talking about that now. And I, I do feel as though I'm not the best person to talk about this stuff because I'm not as plugged in with the team as guys like Marcus, who wrote a great piece about Draymond's situation and even ex-athletes, ex-coaches. You know, I've only played at the high school level. I can try to impart what my emotions would be into this, but I, that's probably not really going to be too interesting to people. But I, I guess I'll start with you here, Danny. Let's kind of just go through this because I, I really the overarching question that really has not been answered yet is just how big of a deal is this that this happened when you heard the initial report before seeing the video how did you feel about it it seemed more to me like the type of thing and obviously what we know it now to be is something that has happened before but it seemed like you know the scuffle and like there had been a version of a shouting match between Draymond Green and Jordan Poole on on the bench during a game I think that was a year or two ago and so I thought it was you know like a little bit of a kerfuffle there are all sorts of famous stories including Steve Kerr getting punched face I think there was a Zach Randolph Ruben Patterson one years ago and so I thought that it was maybe more in that vein and it obviously wasn't and I think there are a lot of threads from the story that aren't complete yet but are worth kind of starting to tie them together and as you mentioned Marcus Thompson I thought his piece at The Athletic was was fantastic in this and Marcus is beyond being an excellent writer he's very emotionally intelligent and I think that's the most notable part of this long term it's not the possible suspension or the money that Draymond Green could lose either through a suspension or through future endorsements or future contracts or anything like that. It's the relationships within this team. The Warriors are the reigning defending champions. They are the team that I think is the most likely champion, more on paper than anything else. And that, that doesn't make them likely. It just makes them more likely than anybody else at this moment in time. And relationships matter. And this isn't just Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. I mean, something that, that Marcus talked about so well is his position as a leader, as a voice within this franchise. And obviously he's been an integral part of four championships. And that voice carries differently now. And it always will. And we don't know. Maybe there had been other things like this. I sincerely doubt it. But that in the room, you know, the room where it happens, dynamics here, it's the part that we'll probably never get the full story on. And I find it the most compelling element of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Because what makes Draymond Green so valuable, especially as he gets later into his career, is his sensible leadership qualities and holding guys accountable 
accountable on defense at being the defensive captain and using his brain and now what is it going to sound like when he tries to do that right okay maybe he just shows up and he plays and he doesn't have that leadership voice anymore but then he also isn't as valuable of a basketball player as he used to be and I I think you know you you mentioned this of just like what how is his voice going to resonate still and this is so often the case in interpersonal relationships that and what makes these transgressions so miserable to begin with is yeah Draymond Green did what he did and he's going to come back he'll show contrition as he as he always does he we'll talk more about his apology today but I thought he was yeah I'd give him like a seven and a half out of ten on his apology better than a lot of people do but it's not really about him going forward it's on everyone else they if the Golden State Warriors want to get where they want to be as a basketball team at least this season everyone else just has to get over it and that's not really fair to have to ask them to do that right like if you're in a marriage and you get cheated on okay you can you have to rebuild trust whatever but ultimately it's on the person who and the people in this case whose trust was violated to just get over it and trust again and that's Draymond can help a little with that but it's really up to the other warriors to just decide essentially like okay how much do we care about this guy how much are we willing to forgive him especially given that now, this isn't the first time this shit has happened. So that's what it, what it boils down to is just how is everyone else, Steph and Steve Kerr, most of all, Jordan Poole, how are they going to react to this? That's going to determine how big of a deal it is. And sadly, if they want to win, they probably do have to get over it. There aren't that many players that theoretically, and there have been, oh, trade Draymond Green, do all this stuff. And A, if the Warriors are trying to win a championship this year, there are very few players that they can trade Draymond Green for that will not significantly decrease their title odds. Because even though Steph Curry is the alpha and the omega with this team, the defense is a big part of what has pushed them forward. And so maybe there's a faint possibility you could talk to like the Pacers about Miles Turner, one of these players who could kind of fill the Draymond at center role. The Warriors do not have another player person who seems adept at that maybe the dream is Jonathan Kaminga in years or Wiseman obviously at some point in time be a different theory defensively or Looney but practically speaking that's very difficult to accomplish and it's it's something as you mentioned that they're that they're going to have to work through and it is an immediate challenge but it is also a long-term challenge as well because even though Draymond Green along with the rest of this Warriors kind of like the older core you know they're in their early to mid 30s Draymond turns he's 32 now will turn 33 during this season the intention is that they will pass the torch while still being a part of it like that's been the idea you know the kind of two timelines as as it's come up before I think Joe Wakeup might be the first person who said that idea and that gets harder when there is this open conflict between important members of the two timelines but also just because you have a lot to deal with and Marcus I, I he did a great job in his piece I praised him a lot, but one of the elements that I, it was hard to reckon, he didn't put it as much in the piece, and I've been thinking about it a lot in part because one of the pieces I wrote relatively early in my tenure with The Athletic was when Draymond Green got suspended for game five of the 2016 NBA Finals, I went back through every single infraction 
because that was an accumulation. That wasn't a single thing and, you know, like the equivalent of a red card in soccer and you're suspended for the next game. No, it was an accumulation of different infractions. And basically tackling Michael Beasley at the end of a game and getting super pissed off, arguably justifiably so, when LeBron stepped over him deliberately for LeBron to generate that reaction. Those were heat of the moment, acted out, got himself, and, and you know, there was a real consequence. There wasn't for each of those individually, but obviously there was when he was suspended for, for game five and the Warriors lost that game, then six and seven, and then lost the series and a potential championship. And so I I see this as fundamentally different from some of those other heat of the moment things. And in part, because like the idea of you're defending yourself and your people versus distinctly not doing that. But this feels different in part because A, there's a long time that has passed in some of those things. And even though, you know, Draymond Green has been vocal and he's gotten into little things, it's, it's usually been us versus everyone. And that's not what this is. But it's also because you brought up trust. And so thinking about this from Jordan Poole's perspective, thinking about this from Bob Meyer's perspective, thinking about this from Joe Lacob and Steve Kerr's perspective is where do we go from here? Is this uh, is this a circumstance where you're you spend the next three to four years waiting for something else bad to happen and they could still do some really good things? They could. I still think there's a reasonable chance that the Warriors win the championship this year. And I don't know how much that moves based on what happened last week. But when you think about this long term, I mean, going you could go through various different free agencies, you could go through trade requests and all that. The idea of, is this where I want to be? Is this the person I want to hitch my wagon to? Is such an important part of NBA history and, of course, the NBA present. Yeah, and again, it just it comes back to what people are going to think about it. And I mean, Jordan Poole, we haven't talked much about him and it, you know, it seems obvious that like his, his family was pretty pissed off by this, which you know makes plenty of sense. It, Draymond addressed that in his apology. Um, I guess I could talk a little bit more about the apology later. That's probably not as core to this as we're trying to talk about it going forward. I think the way that the team initially handled this before the video came out, which was just all right, this happened, and you know, there was no suspension. They talked about it, but. It, kind of was like okay this is one of these things that happens and that was how it was being approached maybe they didn't necessarily believe that but again as i started to talk about here it's better for everyone involved even jordan pool i would say maybe even especially jordan pool to just downplay this and like there's just no benefit to anyone of this getting out so they're so annoyed by the leak obviously and you know it's the warriors even if they wanted to trade draymond now they would it's better for them to downplay it. Jordan Poole, he doesn't want to be known as the guy that Draymond just like came up and stole off. Like he, he wants to have his own career and, and he's gonna have a, a great contract and he wants to be a winner and you know he can quite frankly can facilitate all of those things by forgiving Draymond Green. Now, should he be forced to do that? Like that's Draymond was a real asshole to him. Like I could completely understand if he didn't feel like he could do that. And all these guys like Steph and Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, like as pissed off as they all are. And they've continued to put up with Draymond for a reason this long. And for, at least for this year, they probably still need to. Now we could talk about going forward and the extension and, and him retiring as a warrior and all that stuff. Possibly. I will say though, like there, I'm two minds about like how bad this really is. And again, be, with it being clear that it's the people who are involved here that how they feel about it that ultimately will determine how I feel about it, you know, in whatever objective sense doesn't matter. And oh, should they have suspended him? Should they not? Like that's, that's ultimately is ancillary. 
you know, this is kind of similar to the Miritich and Bobby Portis thing. And I remember I came down very hard on Bobby Portis for that incident. You know, supposedly Portis even said on Twitter that, you know, there was more pushing and shoving before that than there was here. If you haven't seen the video where Draymond, you know, Poole maybe says something to him, but isn't even facing him. Draymond really gets up in his face. Poole kind of just shoves him back a little bit. And then Draymond uh, escalated it with a wild swing. So this is an incident where I would say normally when you see these things in video, like the Ray Rice thing, for example, or the Donald Sterling audio, and I talked about this with Sarver too, there's almost like a failure of reading comprehension on some of these things. And usually when you see the video, I feel like that just causes an appropriate reaction. Whereas when you don't have video, the reaction isn't where it should be on some of these instances. And in this case, I would say, hey, there were a billion of these other incidents and, you know, we just didn't have video for them. So why are you going to treat this so much differently than the Portis Miritich thing where Miritich actually was injured? He went to the hospital. He had a broken face. Like it basically kind of ended his time with the Bulls. Okay. Eight game suspension and Bobby Portis is, you know, Bobby Portis, he's beloved in Milwaukee now. So why are you making so much bigger of a deal out of this? But on the other hand, I think because of the unique nature of this, and I started to hit on this too with Draymond and his, the role that he is supposed to play on this team and frankly, his value on the basketball court and then the size differential and the age differential and the career differential, all of that does make this really bad in a way that I can't recall another incident like this where you had, you know, a veteran Hall of Famer doing something like this to just a young player on the team that he's ostensibly supposed to be mentoring. It's not even like the guy like plays his position or anything either. I mean, there's talk that that it could be the whole contract thing or whatever, but uh which everyone of course is downplayed and I'm a little skeptical about that cuz Draymond's like, "Oh, I never count another man's money." Well, yeah, it's actually kind of a zero sum game in this instance, so you probably like you of course you should be counting their money like it, it maybe not publicly, but it's it's obvious that him getting paid means there's a little bit less over for you for you and vice versa so i don't know i i guess it's just really we'll see i mean do you have kind of a prediction on where this is headed at this point or, or anything else that you wanted to touch on here not really i my instinct is that he might miss you know that he might miss some time but a lot of the issues here are going to be more internal you know the the warriors will obviously pursue the leak and and that will that will have an issue and i in some ways the other thing that i'm interested in here and it's not relevant you know you and i focus a lot we're trying to be objective on like the basketball and everything else is Draymond Green's connection to and relationship with the fan base because Jordan Poole is a popular player. He was just, you know, just a key player in the championship. And Draymond Green is extremely popular as well. But this is a, you know, this is a different kind of transgression. And yeah, yeah, Draymond referenced ring night. Like, what's that going to be like? They, they announce everyone specifically to come on and get your rings. Like, is he just going to not be there for that? He's stepping away from the team for now. And then uh, we don't know what yeah. the time, what the timeline is there. And so, I mean, those will be que- those will be questions too. And so, I, I, I think it's wise to acknowledge the elements that we don't know and that are going to be resolved, but mention them because they could potentially be relevant. And we've seen challenges with teams for things that never really became public or became public far later or things that didn't derail teams. I mean, for those who watched The Last Dance, there's certainly some crazy stuff there. And so it's it's hard sometimes to be able to separate out what is what is not what is real and what is not, but what will have ripples and what will not. And and so and also this occurring so far from the playoffs, from the NBA finals and everything else like that. I think I think there's enough time for this to 
to settle before anything has to happen. And so I think we can, unless there's something more you want to say, I think we can move on. Well, no, I do have a, a little more. I mean, there, there are a few more aspects. I mean, like I was saying, if I were advising Jordan Poole, I would tell him in his press conference to just come out and say, hey, you know what? Like, yeah, he screwed up. Like, he apologized. I accept his apology. He's going to take some time away from the team. But, like, ultimately, we're going to welcome him back in. And, and, oh, by the way, I might come to the Golden State Warriors and say, hey, you know, uh, why don't you pay me a little bit more in this contract extension? And th- then I'll go ahead and, and say this and we can sweep this under the rug. <laughs> that, that would... <laughs> That would, now that obviously again there are emotions involved like he shouldn't have to do that but if he can stomach it that's how he should handle it and and also just i mean even if he doesn't believe that why like open yourself up to like more questions about it more controversy like your own career again it's just like to make that part of your story it's just from a business perspective from a winning perspective even just from like a personal annoyance perspective to publicly say that and then just try to be as civil as you can throughout this season and hey who knows maybe he just doesn't really care that much uh i mean that, that happens sometimes with people uh but that's uh that's what i would advise for him i'm not sure if that's what's gonna happen but i mean my prediction is they're gonna get over it and will start playing well it won't be as much of a story now if one of them starts playing poorly then it does become more of a story and pool's probably going to get his extension now if he doesn't get his extension now the organization is going to look bad i think as well and that's the other thing too is the organization i don't know whether uh, my guess would be they very much encourage draymond to take this mutual decision voluntary step away but it's ridiculous that they didn't suspend him it seems like but again it goes back to well it was just easier for everyone probably even including jordan pool just eh, you know whatever this happened like you know and this wasn't a situation where jordan pool was like in the hospital like nikola miritich and they had to deal with it so they hoped to sweep it under the rug and they just didn't succeed um also this leak thing everyone in the warriors going apeshit in the leak and like Oh, the trust of like, you know, stuff happening in practice that that's not going to get out now. And we have no idea how it got out. I mean, Slater report on his pod today that it seems like it came from, you know, it wasn't like security footage. It was like the practice film that was being taken for later analysis that got out. But, you know, it could have been someone in the organization that fucking hated Draymond. It could have been someone in the organization who felt like they're underpaid and was pissed off. It could have been someone who just felt like they wanted to get paid from TNZ. It could have been someone who just like, holy shit, check this out. Send it to one of their buddies and then they posted it. Uh, It could have been any one of those things. I, as much as uh, you hear people complain about leaks all the time, it's usually they don't figure out who it is, <laughs> right? Like when's the last time you actually had someone get busted for leaking? And, you know, I did think Steve was a little sanctimonious today on, on the leaking and same thing with Draymond. All these motherfuckers leak all the time. Draymond or somebody, I, I mean, I probably was leaking that Jordan Poole, that Chris Haynes report that Jordan Poole is like getting too big for his britches, right? Yeah. Uh, which again, I mean, if, if I'm a, with the Warriors and I'm Jordan Poole, I assume that came from Draymond to try to apologize for himself, basically. And Draymond also did come dangerously close to doing that in his apology today, but he thankfully he's like, oh, well, I'm not going to try to change anyone's opinions or anything. Or like he alluded to the idea that if you'd seen more of the video or there was the sound that it would have been exculpatory somehow, which of course it isn't. And he didn't actually say that, but he almost alluded to the idea that he could have said that and that like he would have changed people's opinions like ah, i don't think that would change one of his opinions in jerry so it's probably better that you shut up but that's why i'd only give him a seven and a half out of ten on the apology and also he went a little long <laughs> he could have had some bullet points been a little more concise but at least he didn't do it on the fucking podcast or something like that 
I think they everyone convinced him at least to not do that. But he still is going to feel like he probably has to talk about it on the podcast, and therefore he could say something else stupid then at that point. Uh, so anyway, all right, I, I think that's about all all I've got here. Any any reaction to that, or shall we shall we move on to a little more news around the I, league? I, I think we can move on to. We don't have to dwell on it because I know you and John talked about it well. Um, the uh, Jordan Poole related element, which is the extension for Tyler Hero, it is. Four for one, four years, 130 million is the full figure. Seems like about 10 million of that is possible incentives. Oh, where... well, well, I don't know if it's all possible. Like one, yeah. one was like defensive player, player of the year. year. Yeah. And so possible. Many things are possible, but uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't and... put that one in the likely category. And so with with so uh, Bobby Marks had the basic terms of it. So it's, you know, 27, 29, 31, 33. And it's notable in the sense that it's, you know, about four and a half million below the 25 percent max, given the league estimate for cap the cap next year. And something that I've brought up before, and I think this is relevant for pool as well, is how far below that max number you need to be from the team perspective in order to justify transferring so much risk from the player to the team and you want to make guys happy obviously but this isn't like the carl anthony towns or luca where it's like oh this guy's already really really good like we need to give him the max don't think about it and all that and so you're you're making that transfer and also remember that like that 4.5 that's to the 25 percent max but it's five percent raises on an offer sheet versus eight and that burned utah before where they tried to you know part of it was maybe saving some money seeing if you could get it so this is another market setter we've already seen now, Anthony Simons, Taylor Hero, if you want to count Colin Sexton, though his situation was a little unusual because of the um, injury that he was dealing with immediately before free agency. And I don't know what the resolution is going to be with Poole and the Warriors, whether I, I, I feel like you'll be there. But an argument that you and I have made, and we did this in the mock extension with the great Dan Feldman, is from Golden State's perspective, depending on what Poole is willing to accept, there is value in having Poole under contract because it is easier to make a move in the summer of 2023 if he's under contract versus a sign-and-trade. Not only because of base year compensation rules, but also just because everybody knows the numbers. There's no separate negotiation. It's just the one-and-one, team one, team two. Yeah, and I do wonder whether this would get done if it weren't for the cap almost certainly going up in 25, 26 by a, a pretty large amount. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because 
you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us let's hit on a couple other small ones here this one i thought was interesting bruno fernando four-year 10.9 million dollar deal and this is one again where the actually only the last year of this will be under the new tv deal but this is basically like a little bit above the minimum we don't know i don't think yet what the guarantees are oh, I, I i believe nothing is guaranteed after the first year ah okay fair uh, i think i saw that but, yeah and fernando was on a two-way and i think he spent i think he was actually in the trade with schroeder for daniel tice and fernando is a guy that i always wanted to see more of i think he's a good fit for houston because they don't have that rim running center now and he's also a guy who has some pretty good mobility and can switch and that's uh, i think what houston is going to be doing a fair amount of going forward particularly with certain lineups on the floor like they've got pretty good size up and down the team now Tari easton has looked good in preseason as well so uh, this is a one where it's kind of a win-win to get guaranteed money for him but also for houston to maybe lock up a guy they think could be a low-cost backup center going forward or even just a third center and it's not guaranteed so hey why why not they wanted him on the team this year and 
I guess we'll see what ends up happening with him going forward. But four years is a long time, particularly because, I mean, and actually, Danny, have we ever seen, I don't know if we've ever seen like a four-year deal for a guy like this late into his career. Yeah, th- this isn't like, like a second-year like guy. Um, I think the Rockets have done it maybe once or twice before. But yeah, Bruno Fernando is more of an established commodity, and the structure of it, uh, Spotrack has it. It's fully guaranteed for 22-23 and then non-guaranteed for each of the following three years with the final year being simultaneously a club option and non-guaranteed, which, you know, depending on the guarantee date, could matter or could not. And so for Fernando, I mean, that, it gives the Rockets a lot of control, but you also get $2.7 million this year, which is pretty good. And when they the Rockets traded for Derek Favors in that voluminous deal with the Oklahoma City Thunder, I was like, oh, I wonder, if they're, wonder what they're going to do at center. And instead, they, um, you know, they they added Fernando as well. So, and I bet I've heard that as you did that he was he's looked good in camp. So, we'll have to see that. We also got a couple. Yeah, and I guess true. I so I didn't realize it was two point seven in the first year. That yeah. that makes it make a little bit more sense than you know if it was just the minimum guaranteed. Like that wouldn't have been enough for me to want to do this deal as Fernando. Now two point seven. All right, that's starting to get to, and you're continuing to get paid at that level so yeah you're probably at least for the first couple of years uh you know you're gonna get maybe three million combined above the minimum you know for the first two three years that that's not bad like you're at least getting something there for your locking into this long-term deal what's and then, next yes. um let's let's do some of the front office news and so in denver calvin booth who replaced tim Connolly at the top of the table there from front office perspective he received an extension through the 24 25 season and mike singer of the denver post has it that a majority of the rest of their front office did as well and then in los angeles rob palenka vp of basketball operations surprising that he didn't get a, a title bump with all this he agreed to terms uh, on a contract extension through 2026 which reportedly aligns him with darvin ham this happened before they hired ham but there is a general contract structure for new coaches so it was not a surprise that they kind of line these two things up and palinka getting that extension that also kind of ties in with some of the reporting that we got about that from shams and yovan buha about the rust trade and that they were working for a consensus within the voices in the room however we want to classify those as front office types or not yeah palinka has been given the ultimate power to make these decisions and russell was almost traded to indiana that two first round pick deal but then they found the price a little expensive there and as i said with yovan last week i think the lakers actually have handled things with russ pretty well i would not have done that deal with the two first round picks for turner and healed particularly given that they might want to use cap space next year and i just i don't know how good lebron and ad are going to look and whether it's worth going for it and whether I mean, I think if, if LeBron and AD are really that good, you can make this deal later in the season, probably for a cheaper price or a better deal to get you closer to championship contention. And you know, they should be able to at least hang around the playoff picture and be in the playoffs halfway through the season if you're not there then there's no point in making the trade anyway because lebron and ad aren't good enough um but yeah i mean this palinka good job going for the consensus this is kind of the conservative approach which maybe maybe it worked for them in this instance but rob palinka knows how to survive in this organization as some others do as well and so he got himself a contract extension despite what has been an absolutely terrible performance basically i would say in every offseason but one 
of the LeBron era. Other than 2019. And I mean, the disaster of the 2018 offseason is one that you and I have not forgotten, but I think others kind of have where they just built exactly incorrectly around LeBron and then they they had really a lost year and then they eventually acquired Davis. They won the bubble title. And then they didn't even fucking learn their lesson after 1920. But in any event, yeah, uh, we've talked enough about about Rob. I I also cracked up a little bit that there was basically the, the Pacers weren't interested in including second round picks they do have some extras but a note on that is that the Pacers part of the reason they're not interested in trading seconds is that they've already traded basically all of their seconds from 23 to 27 so oh yeah it's a little bit harder to do that when you've already traded a bunch of those already yeah now by the way if that if that was the only object between making that deal for the Pacers I know they have traded a lot of seconds but if the Lakers just like yeah we just need a little something back in return whatever that would have been do it to get those two first round picks yes I I would have in fact Oh, yeah. Done like, that. Yeah, I mean, especially getting if, if it was two Lakers unprotected picks because they kind of can't really be protected in, in the future, like betting against betting against the Lakers. Be like, hey, have you signed Rob Plinka to an extension yet? OK, I'll, I'll 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 give I'll give up those for future Lakers picks because that might work out well for us. Uh, a number of different kind of kind of smaller, thankfully, injury news. Um, Jackson Hayes has in a, a UCL that's an ulnar collateral ligament tear in his left elbow. As Jeff Stotts put, it's an uncommon injury. The the average missed time is about 46 days, but uh, Hayes is going to be out at least two weeks, so we don't know a specific timeline. That was reported by Mark Stein today. Carl Anthony Towns, we we don't we still don't have a full picture on what what went on with him. So he's lost a bunch of weight down to 231 pounds when he's been listed at 250 in other years. It involves a throat infection. We know he went to the hospital. I think his mom, like or somebody in his family, not his mom, obviously the COVID tragedy there. Um, somebody took him there, and so hope the best for him. It'll probably take some time for him to be himself again, but I mean, wish the best, absolutely, always. Yeah, he's trying to ramp back up now, and hopefully they can get him out there before the end of the preseason, but uh, again, just for the purposes of getting chemistry with he and Rudy Gobert in camp, it's not ideal. Evan Mobley has been out here in camp one to two weeks is what they said. I don't know, what was that, one to two weeks ago? It was like right it was at the about start a, of camp. It was about a week ago. Yeah, that it happened. So you imagine he'll probably be back for the start of the regular season, but they do. They are very, very thin. And he is the guy who is their most indispensable player, I would say, particularly on defense. And one of the reasons I'm a little bit more down on the Cavs defense this year is just what happens when you don't have both Mobley and Allen out there together uh, to their defense. Uh, in Brooklyn, another slightly concerning thing, just to put a pin in, Joe Harris sat out practice today with ankle soreness. And you know, is that just normal ramping up after surgery, blah, blah. But recall that Harris tried to do that before and then had to have another surgery and so hopefully this is nothing major it's not an arthritic condition or something along those lines and and because he's of course a, a key piece for them as well for the wizards Corey kispert is dealing with a more severe ankle sprain he is going to be out four to six weeks and i still don't know how wes unsell jr is going to manage this rotation but they they will be doing so without the second year player for a little bit of time for the suns cam johnson is dealing with the right thumb sprain campaign is dealing with the right finger sprain they're both going to be reevaluated towards the end of the preseason so we don't really have a firm timeline it kind of where their availability is going to be and cam johnson's absence is more notable in the context that jay crowder is still away from the team but jay crowder is still on the roster so they might be a little bit short-handed to start the season yeah there really appears to be nothing 
brewing on that front and again this is one of those trades that would be pretty difficult to pull off to get pieces who are going to help by also trading a veteran who helps a veteran team in right. OKC, uh, Lou Dort uh, suffered a concussion. Sounds like not a great one. He could be out for some period of time. Uh, Mark Dagnall did say on Thursday that Shea is progressing but doesn't have a firm timeline for return. There is some hope he could be ready for the regular season opener. That's a left MCL sprain that he suffered. We don't know exactly when that happened. It sounded like a, a grade two, but maybe it happened a month and a half ago. We just don't know. But I, I imagine they'll be relatively conservative. Well, and it's and it's tough for, for Shea Gilgis-Alexander because it's only about four or five months until he gets comes down with the Wembenyama flu. So we'll have to see where things go from there. And uh, in, in Charlotte, they've been, they had a challenging preseason. And part of that is injuries. Gordon Hayward, Cody Martin, and Dennis Smith all didn't play Friday against the Celtics. And Hayward Martin have not played at all in the preseason, but it does sound more precautionary. So I'm not super freaked out yet, but anything that involves Gordon Hayward and lower, lower body stuff does definitely concern me. And speaking of concerning lower body stuff, Bogdan Bogdanovich didn't play in the Abu Dhabi game on Saturday due to right knee patellar ten like that's still that surgery. So we still don't have a timeline on it yet. It's I, I my instinct is he's not going to play opening night. It does feel like it, it's heading in that direction. I also thought this is pretty interesting reporting by Andrew Marshand and his podcast, the Marshand and Uran podcast is a pretty good one if you're into sports media, but it, he did a piece on the NBA app and he also had some reporting a bit ago that Sinclair, which owns all the Bally Sports Network, is in a lot of trouble and that the pro sports leagues, baseball, hockey, and the NBA are expected to, I'm sorry, this is actually Josh Cosman who, who wrote this, but uh for the New York Post, that they're expected to possibly come up with some sort of a stake arrangement or a business arrangement, or maybe even something along the lines of buying back the rights to the games that these networks own. And then the NBA app, which by the way, will be back on the NBA strategy scheme on the NBA app. League Pass is only $99.99. So we're doing, this is going to be awesome, by the way, Nets Pels on Wednesday, the opening night for most of the league. League Pass opening night, baby. Dude, that... That might be the game I'm most excited about that we've ever done regularly. I mean, to see Zion and Ben Simmons, all these guys back, uh, two fascinating teams. Like, that's that's going to be awesome. But in any event, with the NBA app now and the stuff with Sinclair, the way this would work in theory is they would give over a lot of their equity to creditors who would then sell most of the operation to the sports leagues. I don't know if that's happened yet, but this seems like it could just be headed in the direction of the NBA being able to sell all of their rights at once. No more local blackouts on League Pass. No more local blackouts for the NBA strategy stream on League Pass. Hopefully more ability to do second screen stuff and just to have more control over the product, more direct to consumer. Um, it, it seems like this actually might be an opportunity to me for the NBA and particularly, or maybe even just to sell all of these rights to all the games to ESPN the next time the TV contract comes up. Now, some of the teams like the Lakers that are getting hundreds of millions of dollars or MSG that owns the Knicks, right? Like maybe there are going to be some teams that are kicked out of that. And that's part of why we have the fragmented local TV deal that we did to begin with, like back in the 70s. Uh, I mentioned this before, but Josh Mendelson wrote this book called The Cap, and he noted how Jack Kent Cooke, who owned the Lakers back then, refused to be part of a NFL-style national package for the NBA, and that's why you had it this way 
that it's been. So uh, it's just something to, to keep an eye on. I think that certainly would lead to a better experience for hardcore fans and also I think probably more money for the NBA in the end. All right, I got one more thing here, Danny. Ready for a little Watfo? Okay. What are the odds that one of the teams that we project and everyone else projects to be bottom four in the West does not finish in the bottom four? So that is Utah, Houston, OKC, and San Antonio. They are, even with Utah still, you know, still having a lot of their their guys on roster, like that, it's something that you and I talked about, and then it hasn't yet been released, but Arturo Gaudi and I talked about for over-unders on Real GM Radio as well, of, you know, like the Jazz are still a pretty talented team as they stand, as it stands right now, but those are the four worst teams on paper. They have plenty of incentives there. My, and, and what makes the West teams in some ways a little bit more notable on this than the East is that it, at, at least as I'm reading the tea leaves here it seems kind of unambiguous that that's what they're trying to do there isn't a troy weaver in this mix where it's like oh we, you know we added some bets we're going to try to win some games whether they succeed or not is unclear so it's going to be a team that falls and falls hard almost definitely that's going to be due to injury or at least initially and then it's like hey this is the place we're in and you could draw the parallel to i believe sean elliott got hurt that spurs year and then they kind of packed it in a little bit and got there but those are bad teams they're going to start bad they want to be bad because of what Binyama and Scoot and because that's just the way these things work. So I'm going to say I'm going to say a 22 percent chance that another team gets in there. Oh, I'm going to go over 50 percent. OK, I'm, I'm going to go 55 percent that one of those teams is not in the bottom four of the West. Yes. Yeah, I think it's just too easy of a chance that Utah maybe is better than expected. One of these teams just plays defense better than expected that pops. I mean, you know, we would have probably put, say, Cleveland in the same category as some of these teams last year. Now, at least they probably had a little bit more desire organizationally to win. But I think just I am betting this prediction is based on my inability to predict. (laughs) (laughs) that's i am betting that people are just going to be wrong that there's just too much uncertainty system to say hey we're going to get all four of these teams right and not only that but then one of the teams above them isn't going to just completely fall apart or intentionally fall apart you might say as well yeah yeah i i think i think there's an over 50 percent chance that that is not the bottom four i probably should even go higher what's gonna Um, piss me off is if it's sacramento and i'm just like (laughs) pick their under um, i'm actually gonna push i'm gonna push it to 60 percent because i think that's uh, yeah you you convince me i'm gonna go up to 30 but i'm still Ah! well i'm going to 70 god damn it are you going to 70 (laughs) no you're going to 70 We each modify. I thought we're not allowed to change uh, after we hear each other's reasoning. All right, whatever. It's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, we got to get back into shape this year. So 60% for me, 30% for you. Yeah. One of our bigger disagreements. Yeah. Uh, did we do another one, by the way, on like whether Ben Simmons is going to play in Philly his first game this time? We We, did. We have, we, that is one of the as yet unresolved ones. Yes. (laughs) What, what did we say for that again? Um, let me, let me try to find it. We actually have so many Ben Simmons ones. I have to, I have to find it within the (laughs) control F. Enter, 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 enter. Um, okay, so I said 55% that he plays in the first, the Nets, well, his team's first game in Philly next season. I said 55%, you said 30%. So yeah. actually very, well, I, very similar to what we, the difference that we had on this one just reversed. Yeah. Well, also, I think you're looking better now because he at least appears to be healthy to start the season. That was part of the variation that I had in there, but we shall see. All right. This is fun. Reminder, you got just a little bit of time left now. 
John Hollinger will be joining us permanently on October 11th with the next show. You can take advantage if you are a monthly subscriber or if you're listening on the public podcast to join us for the first time. Yearly deal, one time only, John Hollinger presale. That is going to go away as soon as John actually joins us in a few days. So make sure you jump in on that. If you're a monthly subscriber, you can get a much better deal. We're never going to offer this good of a deal again for a yearly membership. And you can save a ton versus the monthly membership. And if you haven't joined up yet, what are you waiting for? And we even offer special pricing for those who are in difficult financial situations. There's more information on how to get that in my tweet that is pinned to the top of my Twitter profile. Hope to see you all on Dunked on Prime or with the yearly membership if you haven't got one yet. Talk soon. We got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Well, I was hoping, given my stance on the draft, that the day after the Blazers' first preseason game, we'd be discussing a triumphant, shade and sharp performance in garbage time. Fortunately, they never passed in the ball at all yesterday. But here to break down maybe more important aspects than my own vanity for my draft picks in this Blazers season is the host of Lockdown Blazers, Mike Richmond. How are you, man? I'm doing all right. Listen, they ran an ATO for Shaden Sharp. He lost the ball, and then they literally never passed him the ball again. But he did get one. They, <laughs> they called a timeout. They said, we're going to get our guy a chance. And he lost the ball out of bounds. And they said, okay, let's never pass it to him under any circumstances ever again. Yeah, so I, I don't expect that our discussion – of the Blazers' fortunes this year is going to include a ton of Shaden Sharp, but what's been the early buzz uh, on him out of camp? 
Well, apparently he blocked a uh, – they were playing one-on-one with Nazir Little, and he blocked Nazir Little at like 12 feet in the air. He met him like above the square to block the shot, um, and the ball went in. So Nazir Little says he was the shot was not blocked, but the word coming out from all of the rest of the Blazer teammates and coaches is that Shaden Sharp just has this effortless athleticism and that if he figures out how to play you know, basketball at this level, that the athleticism is just going to pop because it is there are there are moments that you see the physical gifts – um, and he just does, you know, he just hasn't played enough, enough high level basketball to sort of do this. So, uh, like it, when he, when he gets there, he has some tools and some, and some skills that just nobody else has. Yeah. And I think the, the big criticism of him, I, I saw it in very limited action last night was that he doesn't have that blow by you first step, even right. though he does have a, the great athleticism, but yeah, I mean, when you see him go up even just for a rebound or something on the defensive end i mean it's it's just crazy like oh this guy just rose like there's no fanfare he's just off the ground i mean it's a pretty ridiculous vertical leap that he has but uh that's frankly given the way the rotation is going to shake out probably not a ton more to say about him at this point in time the guy that i really did want to talk about though normally we start these off by talking about what they did last year and maybe try to use that as a baseline to project their performance this year well (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what did, exactly. So what did they do Chuckle, last year? They they, uh, they were pretty bad, and then they got way worse on purpose. Um, so yeah, I think the baseline is. You know what? This team is ready for a big improvement, Nate. I'll call. Yeah. I'll call it that. Well, the one guy I did want to talk about is Damian Lillard, though. And yep. Obviously, you could say he wasn't himself last year uh so just kind of take us through his season last year the decision to get the surgery and now what he's been saying what people have been saying how he looked last night just in terms of uh how's he gonna he how's he looking now and you know obviously he's a year older but also he's not injured this year yeah so you know he he last year he came right off the blazers um playoff exit into the olympics and he was just not a basketball player at the olympics like he was just so clearly uh you know, only able to use 60% of his body or whatever. He was so stiff. And then he took some time off and he came into training camp and he said, like, I feel fine. And it's this, uh, like basically sports hernia that he's been dealing with core injury that he's been dealing with for years. So I think there was some truth to him being like, usually I just take some time off and I'm okay. Um, you know, he averaged like 27 and eight, the previous two seasons dealing with something relatively similar, but he just couldn't shoot. And he had no burst last year. Uh, he shot 32% from three. Uh, he's just not, a, he's not going to be a good basketball player if he is a below average three point shooter uh it's just it's the truth of his game uh and eventually the team i think convinced him because it, it was they they knew surgery was likely going to be you know this is the end of your season and if he didn't do it right away it was gonna it was gonna kind of be the thing that pulled the plug on their on their year they convinced him talking with his folks talking with his people um you know in december to to get surgery and miss the second half of the season and that precipitated the the a pretty aggressive tank job that um, only Houston and OKC could truly be jealous of and soon to be Greg Popovich in San Antonio. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, and and he says after getting surgery, he had surgery in, in uh, middle of January and thought that he could probably get back on the court if they had needed him to in, in April. Uh, he says he feels as good as he has in his career. He is prone to some pretty aggressive optimism. So yes. I would say in, in general, uh, when Dame says something really optimistic, you you subtract 15%. Um, so he's, uh, 
you know, he, he says he feels good. And I thought after in the first preseason game, I thought he missed a couple wide open looks early on. And then in the second, uh, second and third quarters looks like Damian Lillard. Um, the burst was back, which is the big thing. Um, he missed a couple jumpers that he can make, but the burst was back, particularly in the third quarter. Once he got warm, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember, I remember this dude. He was pretty good. Um, you know, if he isn't a 28 and eight guy, this is a bad basketball team. That might be a bad basketball team anyways, if he averaged 28 and eight, but like, um, he, him being a all NBA type guy is, is really what's going to push them forward. And from what we know so far, he seems healthy and ready to go. Yeah. Just to reiterate how different it was clearly last year. And, and again, I, I, a lot of times I think that injuries can be used as an excuse for him. Uh, he just was not seeing it. 29 games, 24 points a game. That's down from 30 and 29, the two years before that and shot 32% from three. He had been 40 and 39% the two years before that. And the true shooting was a ridiculous 62% the previous two years. Pretty amazing, actually, that he was able to get to league average in true shooting, given how yeah. bad he looked yeah. last year. To, but still, that was nowhere near his usual standards. And as you mentioned, they are going to go, well, I'm not going to say as far as he can take them because there are so, some other issues uh, with this team, but we know yeah, that I mean, if he is... There's a bunch of other teams in the West that are going to have a problem with that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if he's not at the level that he was in 20 and 21, then you know these guys are, are dead in the water as far as you know, possibly being a playoff team. So that's obviously one big theme is the return of Lillard. What are some of the other big themes you're going to be tracking, big storylines throughout this season? They are largely a new basketball team for the first time in five, six years. Um, they've they've usually just like rotated out a new a new forward or so, and you get a new forward and you get to see how they are, what limitations Robert Covington or Alfred Camino or Evan Turner bring to the table, and then figure out what they, where they go from there. Uh, but you know they 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 traded for Josh Hart at the end of last season. He was part of the CJ McCollum trade. Um, he played 13 games last year and was nuts. Um, he's not going to be that good, but he was bonkers um, in his 13 games, including a 44 point night uh, in which he didn't score in the final six minutes. Uh, they got Jeremy Grant, who's who's really the guy I'm I'm probably was most impressed with coming out of their first preseason game. He's the type of rangy athlete they just haven't had. Um, a guy who could be above average on both ends of the floor they really haven't had that in their forward core like someone who can play on both ends in the post Lamarcus Aldridge era era excuse me uh and and then it's it's the growth of Anthony Simons as a true number two guy um he took off last year when he was the number one guy on a pretty middling team uh and then a really awful team but like is can Ant do it when he is playing it's like second fiddle isn't the right word but when he has this you know when he has the second serving of the offense next to Dame I think uh, the the integration of Simons and Grant are going to be the two biggest things for me. And obviously, eventually, and we can get to this, like the health of Yusuf Nurkic, because they don't have any tall people on the roster. <laughs> yeah, let's start with Simons. And he's being penciled in to that C.J. McCollum spot. He's being paid somewhat similarly to what C.J. McCollum was, at least on his first big contract, when you look at a percentage yep. of the cap. And it's kind of a similar formula, two small guards, one of whom is going to start a shooting guard and then play back a point guard probably for these guys. Yep. But how would you compare and contrast Simon's game to 
CJ maybe at the same point in his career because they they had somewhat similar paths as far as not really being a big part of the Blazers plans early and then emerging to get a big second contract yeah CJ just did it in the playoffs right he got paid because he he lit up Tony Allen um, it was a little yeah. more pr- proof of concept even though Ant was incredible he just was incredible for six weeks in January and February it's a little bit different um a little bit different flavor uh and Simons is a better catch and shoot shooter than CJ McCollum I think that's the biggest the biggest difference in their games and CJ wants to dribble he wants to take you know at three more dribbles than Amphrey Simons does uh to get himself into his stuff Ant has the physical tools to be a really good downhill player but he has never put it together um even in the first preseason game he just took way too many floater range jumpers like he just gets caught in that six to 12 foot range and it's take takes hard shots he he can really shoot it like i i think he is is potentially one of the best shooters in the league just like pure shooting um was did he shoot well in his first preseason game no he sucked uh but uh he he can really shoot it he's probably a little further along um playmaking decision making wise than cj was at this stage but when cj mccollum got the call like okay you're the starting shooting guard he had the best playmaking year of his career um even to date i believe so uh he he, when he was tasked with it he took a big jump i think just in general mccollum is a little bit better than simons but Amphrey simons is 23 and has a chance to take um take a significant step forward this year the question for me is not really offense it's can he be like a competent or close to competent defender he's going to be a below average defensive player but how close is he to that below average mark is the big question yeah, for me, it, you mentioned Simons as a three-point shooting. CJ, the last few years, really ramped up his three-point yep. volume. Yep. And, uh, Simons is already there. 9.2 and 9.5 three-point attempts for 36 minutes the last two years. And he's been well over 40% both yep. of those years. And, and you mentioned that he did it for six weeks as far as being a league guard and really being a, a big-time scorer for this team. When And when he played, they actually were quasi-respectable. To yeah, the they were they 500, shut I think. Down. Yeah, yeah, they were 500. They basically, I think they went 11 and 12 in those games. And then they were like, You're, he, he had 28 or something, or yeah, maybe 38 against Minnesota in his last game. And the team was like, you can't play anymore. Like, you got to You got to go away. Whatever it is, you got to go away because you're too good to play. Yeah. So, and while that was only six weeks or so, the three-point shooting, that's been going on for two solid years now. Absolutely. It, it, and and when, his, yeah. when his usage jumped up in those six weeks, his shooting percentage stayed constant. Like, he... He went from a below 20% usage to like over 25 and he shot at this at the same clip. Like he's, he can, he's got a, a real bag on offense. Yeah. Now he never, ever gets to the foul line. That's maybe even less than CJ amazingly. Yeah. It's uh, incredible. But he also doesn't turn the ball over, which, which is uh, impressive. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, I think his game, you know, he is kind of a, you know, not great defending shooting guard, uh, but, and who can also swing to the point, but his game is different from CJ's and that, you know, his shot is a little bit lower release point. Like he's not going to get to a spot, rise up uh, right. from the mid range. He, he, we'll see how resilient his scoring is, you know, when he's really a target of defenses, but you know, you don't see him necessarily being the guy who's going to just light up from the mid range in a game seven against the Nuggets. They, they probably won't make it to a game seven this year. Maybe that's part, part of the reason, <laughs> but yeah, he, he's certainly someone that I'm absolutely fascinated to see. And yeah, I think that contract was a little aggressive. My guess would be that they had kind of had the broad outlines of that when they decided to shut him down. And, and they, for, they shut every, they shut everyone down in, in March. Like they shut their two guys entering free agency in, in February rather like, yeah, yeah. you know, like it's like, you better believe Yusuf Nurkic had a contract in hand when he decided 
decided, yeah, I won't play the last 25 games. Like, come on. Yes, and I I do believe that. Um, so who else do you really want to hit on here or, or what other kind of well, big Well, I, I think one of the big, the big questions is, maybe not big questions, but a, a, a question for them is who starts at small forward. Yeah. Um, I think the sort of prevailing logic what it would be was it was going to be Nazir Little because of the length and the strength and they just need you know bigger bodies on the wing in night one in preseason uh it was Josh Hart uh Chauncey Phillips told reporters that he's going to give Nas and Josh Hart and just and Justice Winslow hilariously uh chances to start at small forward and it's an ongoing competition I think it's a choice between Little and Josh Hart um the idea for me was that Little would start because he's a little bit better as a complementary part and Josh Hart's passing and ball handling is is useful on the second unit that lacks a little bit of secondary creation stuff uh but you know they let they gave Hart the reins in game one I thought he looked really good um you know it's not exactly comparable because uh you know he didn't play that much and the Clippers didn't play their guys after halftime uh Kawhi Leonard might have given him 200 points and then I would have felt a little bit differently but because of the way the game shook out um I thought it was fine and I think that's that's sort of the big question I wonder for you who would you start Nas or or Josh Hart uh, yeah you know little is someone who I I Still, I'm trying to get a great read on. I mean, I, I thought he did take a big step forward yep. last year to actually be a respectable outside threat. I think it's really, to me, more about the fact that you're already starting Lillard and Simons in the backcourt. Yes. And so I think just having more general size, you know, Hart is, he plays big. He's a, he does. rebounds really well, but he's still a 6'4". You know, he does have, I think, like a 6'10 wingspan. He is a good rebounder. He's, he sticks his nose in there. He's tough. And I just, and you might say, well, okay, we'll put Jeremy Grant on the other team's best wing threat. Now you've got Josh Hart guarding power forwards. I don't know if you necessarily want that. So I think just having more overall size would be nice. Certainly the theory of Little makes more sense. And then Hart can kind of be your number two option in some of these bench lineups as well. Yep. But the problem might be that Josh Hart's just better than this here. Significantly better, unfortunately, for the Blazers. It's like you want it to be closer. So it's more of a debate. Josh Hart's just way better. So you really are like right now. And in particularly in the first preseason game, he looked way better. Uh, I think the closing lineup has Josh Hart in it regardless. So it's just it's more about talking about how you start each half. Um, and I'm with you. I thought it was made sense for Nas as well. It just um, does a team that lacks depth just say, hey, let's get our five best players on the court, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair way of looking at it. But then you also kind of run into, well, what is Nasir Little's role going to be if he's not starting? Um, right. Yeah. You know, so so that's a, that's another thing to consider. Interesting as well that both of those guys could be free agents uh, after the season. Little as a restricted free agent. We'll see whether it, this has been a team that's usually been pretty aggressive extending guys. Um and they probably actually could have, if they'd been more aggressive extending Simons, they could have saved themselves some money last year in the end. Although I, I would not have been favor of, in favor of that, but he emerged pretty well. Um, so, but that's his, Josh Hart can obviously opt out with that interesting contract that he signed with the Pels that he's outplayed. Yeah, I mean, he's got, I believe it's a mutual option. So there's like 0% chance he's he's hitting free agency regardless because either he's going to think he's worth more money or the Blazers are going to think he's worth less less money. So no one no one is accepting that option. He's hitting free agency for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's non-guaranteed rather than a team option. So I, it's hard for me to imagine any circumstances at this point under which the Blazers would straight up waive him unless he's just 
totally like out for the season next year right but if they guarantee the deal and he's like i'm better than 12 million dollars then he's out anyways so it's like it's hard for me to imagine a confluence of events where josh hart doesn't hit free agency no i i agree with you i mean because yeah he's exercising the option and then it's also then it would still be non-guaranteed right so at that if you think at that point you're probably going to just opt out anyway regardless just to be a free agent rather than be stuck with the non-guaranteed so in any event yeah i think if it were really up to me maybe i would change that matchup from night to night if you have a team that just generally has more size uh, or say you want to get josh hart out there and be better on offense i mean i think pretty clearly they're better on offense with hart the question is just whether they might also be better on defense (laughs) with hart um and also little is really kind of a uh more of a four i mean i guess you could just play grant at the three quote unquote on offense that probably would would happen i mean and also i guess it's just kind of you've got between simons lillard and grant that's like that's more than enough scoring uh, yeah in theory they they're they should be fine in that group which is why Nas makes more sense that to me in that in that in that first grouping and then you need more offense on the the second unit which is a little bit you know with it's like justice winslow and gary payton and uh, and then amphrey simons probably uh he he came out he was first sub and then came back kind of the cj mccollum exact cj mccollum role we've seen in the past uh, so like, you know, it maybe need a little more juice with Ant in that second unit. I think um, I'm a little concerned about just how they score. It's like, we're back. I've, I've done this a lot, Nate. We're back in the, how do they score without Dame on the court lineups? Um, and <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's like, it's gotta be Ant. He's gotta be really good in those with that unit. And then that's why maybe you, you keep Josh Hart there too, because you just need a little more offense. Um, as much as I like the idea of Justice Winslow and, and Nazir Little, we got to see some production there before we really bank on it. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I've I probably liked the Blazers offseason more at the time than now as I really go through it and, and some of the depth issues that you're mentioning. So but I do think there are some combinations that Billups can get to. And maybe one reason you wouldn't start little is maybe you bring him in, you bring Hart in, or, or I'm sorry, you, you bring him in little off the bench for Simons. And then you could also bring in Gary Payton the second. And you could go to a more switchy unit. Maybe that brings in Justice Winslow at center right. as well. I mean, it seems like that's going to be the plan on the second unit. Does it seem like that? that's sort of what they're thinking? They are going to go small. They have mentioned yeah. Justice Winslow. They've mentioned Jeremy Grant. And they've mentioned your boy, Trendon Watford, as a small ball center. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, but why is why is he my boy? Just because I don't, I, like, don't, I don't really see it with him. Did, yeah, because yeah, you're not you're a non believe mostly a non believer. Well, well, so explain uh, to me what the believers see 
in treaded water. Uh, uh, he's he takes all those floaters. It's the floaters that the believers see. Um, I I think for me, because I, I was a trend in Watford, like oh, I two way guy to like, hey, he's probably an NBA player. Uh, he has a good feel on defense. He was not a good defensive player, but he kind of knows where to be, um, which I think is I think there's some value in it. Um, and he can handle and pass a little bit. He's got good touch around the rim on grab and goes. Um, he can play like funky small ball. He he basically can attack mismatches. If he doesn't have a mismatch, he's he's got nothing. But if you put a little guy on him, he can bully him. And if you put someone who's too slow and big on him, he can he can beat him with a quick first step and he's got good touch around the rim. He just can't shoot. So if he doesn't have the ball in his hands and he won't with this team, it takes away a lot of what he does. Uh, but he's um, I think he's intriguing. I just think he'd be intriguing on a different on a slightly different lineup. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. And I just seeing him as the center when he just doesn't have as, that much athleticism and he kind of is the center offensively it's just right. kind of hard for me to to be a believer of just like what the fit's gonna be in an nba lineup again i i acknowledge that he's capable of doing some good things out there but it's just what is that the overall team concept and lineup look like when you're playing someone like that at center or you're playing a power four he's not a great shooter so that that's where i i start to wonder about him but it's, i think he's gonna get some opportunities obviously so all right, let's say they start hard at the three. Little's coming in off the bench, and they're really, and they got Gary Payton the second. Yep. That's probably about it as far as guys that are really totally established, although I do think they have some potential options, which, and those guys historically, they've been able to get those guys to emerge on this Blazers team. So who do you think is kind of next in the pecking order outside of that top seven? Justice Winslow's eight, like for sure. He's going to play a bunch on opening night. He's going to be part of the rotation. Um, and, and he's, you know, if he's healthy, he has some stuff. Like he's he's a good defender and really good passer. Um, again, the shooting stuff. It's it's um, like how he fits in an NBA offense is uh, tricky, admittedly uh, challenging, but he's going to play. Uh, then I think nine is either Drew Eubanks or Trenton Watford, your ninth man, depending on the lineup. Um, Drew Eubanks is fine. He's like a third center. Like he's he's fine as a third center. He just he's just the backup center on this team, as it turns out. Um, so I don't think they want to play Drew every night uh, from just reading the tea leaves and kind of talking with with listening to what they've said when, when we've asked about him. Uh, so I, I think that's your ninth guy. And then 10 seems to be Keon Johnson. Um, and I, I believe from what I've heard from your podcast is you're, you're a Keon Johnson believer. You've, you've come around to believe in, in the, the good word of Keon who looked terrible last year and then has made real strides and is like, was like legitimately good. And is in the first preseason game. Um, the problem with him being your 10th guy is that he is also a guard and they've got a lot of those. Uh, so they're going to just be really small in the second unit. I don't think Shaden Sharp plays he uh, early on, like hopefully he, you know, gets eventually gets some playing time, but I think you're, I think your 10 guys are there with Keon as the edge on 11. Yeah. I, I just to reiterate what we talked about in summer league. Now, some of the things I liked about Johnson were what he was doing with the ball. I thought his jump shot looked better off the dribble. His passing actually yeah. was pretty good. Uh, what did he do last night that you liked? Got to the rim uh, and cut off the. Got to the rim just off the bounce, uh, attacking closeouts really well. Like if if he can he can shoot a little bit off the dribble and if he can shoot a little bit off the dribble he's just his physical like he's just a really good athlete um and so he could attacking closeouts he did well he he had one just like sort of broken play where he got himself in space and made a reverse layup you know gets to the rim and finishes i think he has really good balance on his drives really strong um stronger certainly than he was when he first came to the league on his drives and and he 
because of his first step to get that burst to get space, he's opened up some little, you know, dump off passes and stuff like that. He's not making really high level reads, like he's not seeing the help and skipping it to the weak side, but he can he can make sort of these sort of simple basic reads that he can take advantage of with his uh, offensive ability. And and the shooting has been there. He just he couldn't make twos last year. He shot 26 percent on two pointers. Um, and some of that was because he kept deciding he kept deciding to take the worst two pointers available to him. Um, so if he just like cleans up his decision making, his his rim and three-point shooting is like is a, a bankable skill in my mind yeah and then i thought defensively in summer league he did a pretty good job of getting skinny getting over screens mm-hmm. i'm not sure if he has the heft to be a big switch guy yet and you still are hoping for more from him as a playmaker defensively given some of those physical tools but yeah yeah i, I am excited to see what he can bring this year and obviously sharp as well i mean that's they've got a lot of athleticism in the backcourt they, they definitely prioritize yeah. that right like they jeremy grant and josh hart and uh gary payton the second and then the young guys with Keon and Shane Sharp like they they watch this team not be very athletic um and like you know Dame is strong and all those things but he's not like a he's not John Moran or whatever use of Nurkic's best skills he's gigantic like they needed to infuse the they needed to infuse this team with more athleticism they definitely did that um they just I'm, I'm a little concerned about their depth in general but I think they got they addressed some of areas of obvious need What's the plan for using Jeremy Grant this year? Like, is he going to be on a similar offensive role to what he was in Detroit, you think? Uh, I mean, not that far because yeah. he's not going to have a 26%, 27% usage that he had uh, in, in particularly his first year in Detroit where he uh, was the, the guy. But yeah, he's going to have a pretty big share of the offense. He's going to have to play a ton. Like, yeah. He's He's going to have to play a ton. They just don't have many dudes who are power forwards. I mean, I guess like you could say Justice Winslow and and Azir Little are power forwards, but they're also 6'5". So like they just don't have many guys who play his spot right now on the roster. Um, I guess Josh Hart is also a 6'5 power forward. Um, (laughs) They they got a lot of them. That's That's their type. Uh, so he's, I think he has a bunch of the offense. We saw him as a, as a spacer, like in pick and rolls, he was in the corner, um, a little bit when they would run uh, high pick and rolls with Nurk. Nurk one time found him on a really clean pass, another time on a terrible pass, but I think that's a spot. I think on the, on the weak side as a, uh, either in the corner or as a, as a slasher, if you put him in the slot a little bit, and then they let him run pick and rolls as a ball handler. Um, his decision-making out of those pick and rolls pretty bad, but it's one game. He played 28 minutes. Uh, so like he's going to get his his offense like i think he's going to average you know 17 18 a game just because they're going to go to him because they just need more variety of scoring uh but he's not going to be um you know he's because of the way the uh, the roster works it's hard to take him out early and then bring him back as a feature on the second unit so he's gonna like he's gonna have i think he's gonna stay on that court long at the first and third quarters with dame and they're gonna be the they're going to be the guys when Ant takes that early first sub to to kind of get that offense. I would look for Jeremy Grant to be a high level first quarter scorer while Dame is being patient. Um, if you're uh, if you're, if that's the type of thing you're into, I think Jeremy Grant among the leaders in first quarter scoring. <laughs> yeah, and I think also when they go smaller and maybe they'll even close games that way that he is the ball handler with getting especially given simon's ability as a spot-up shooter because dame will probably have you know the other team's like best wing defender on him and so then they'll and the second best guy probably be on grant and so they'll they'd be able to switch that but then if you get simon's involved teams are not going to have three guys that are going to be great guarding those three guys you would think so you could maybe be able to get a mismatch there with grant i think he'd be better 
attacking smaller players because that doesn't require as much of the conventional pick and roll decision making which is just going to lead to some mid-ranger from him he, most of the he time. will take a pull-up 17 footer out of nowhere and it's <laughs> it, it's a joy um yeah I, I thought last night on when he got switches on bigs like he attacked and got fouled um and the blazers just they haven't had a lot of rim pressure guys um in the past and just like that alone that skill set alone just changes what they can do They've talked a little bit about him playing center too in closing lineups. Yeah. Um, I wonder what that looks like because it's like, how many teams can you, some teams can get away with it, right? Like if Nick Batum is your is the center, or Robert Covington is the center on the other side, like last night, you might be able to get away with it, but there's other teams that are just going to bruise you. You know, that's like, fine. Uh, you know, you can beat up Steven Adams on offense, but he's going to get every single offensive rebound and you're going to lose because you give up extra opportunities. So uh, I'm curious when they can go to it, obviously matchup specific, but they've, they've talked pretty open about playing him at center and as a small ball center i think he plays a lot more minutes at five than he does at three this year just based on how the roster works yeah and it just you wish that they didn't have the two small guards if they wanted to play that way now they legally have to do that they legally for the next they they have to have a guard under six foot four to play next to dame that's just sorry that's oregon law (laughs) well now you do you might say hey like maybe there'll be some nights where they're gonna go so small that they would play Gary Payton the second Hart Little and Grant and not play Simons at the end of the game I right. don't think they're gonna do that but Neither that's that's but that's a group that they were Dame Jeremy Grant you guys take care of the offense we're gonna have a lot of defensive versatility that way you know and Dame actually can guard in the post all right that's like the one thing he is actually okay at absolutely so and he'd probably be a lot better at it now that he you know has a a fully intact abdomen um (laughs) that'll make that a little easier to be strong down there so that's a look that they could potentially go to um before we talk closing lineup though Yusuf Nurkic very under the radar got a big contract again more than would have been expected we talked about the mechanics of why perhaps that may have been but for him to be getting basically 17 and a half million a year was he has he been at that level recently like I would say you know pre-2019 leg injury Yusuf Nurkic I would have thought would deserve something like that but uh I, I haven't necessarily seen that from him is and but they are really really counting on him as you mentioned not only from a health standpoint but to really be that rim anchor is he yeah. capable of that i mean the short answer is no nate <laughs> 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 the short answer is no he's probably not capable of it but it, uh you know he at the beginning of last year when the blazers were awful um in november and december he was also bad uh i believe also during that stretch amphrey simons had the worst effective field goal shooting percentage of any shooting guard in the league so it was across the roster um but they once everybody got hurt they kind of started posting up nurk more and he was just better all the way around like he just the more he got the more he got to eat the more touches he got he was just better all the way around There is this mythical stretch in Portland. I'm not sure if people outside the market are familiar with it, but they won four games right before the All-Star. Oh, oh, I was going to bring this up. Don't worry. I know they were. Those halcyon days were quite the focus early in camp. Four Four games. They beat the Lakers without Russell Westbrook. Let's go. Uh, who was the second game? Uh, I don't even remember who the second game was. It was somebody. It actually is like semi-decent teams, though. Yeah, no, they beat somebody good in the second game. And then they went on the road, and they beat Milwaukee without Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they beat a basically fully healthy Memphis Grizzlies heading into the All-Star break. And Nurk went nuts in those games. Like, he was very, very good. And Justice Winslow was really good. And Josh Hart was really good. And Amphrey Time was really good. And that was like proof of concept for, for the whole 
for the whole off season, right? Like that stretch, um, February 9th to February 16th, 2022 was, uh, was when the Blazers figured out exactly what they were going to be. I don't know if Nurk can be that, right? Like, I don't think, I think in, in the, in the uh, Memphis game, right before the Ulster break, his final game of the year, he had like 28 and 17. Uh, that's not coming a lot. <laughs> it's not going to be often. But he is, you know, if he's a little bit patient and he stops shooting three-pointers, so help me God, um, he can be pretty good on offense if he knows, if he gets the shots he can, like, if he if he takes reasonable shots. Um, he improved a bunch as a uh, short mid-range shooter last year. He had his best mid-range uh, shooting career, shooting season of his career. It's a better passer than I think um, he always, sh- like, shows. Like, maybe his assist numbers don't go up, but, like, he understands how to sort of make the next read, and they're going to run a little bit of high post offense through him. And they're going to play a ton of zone, which will allow him to stay around the paint. I thought the defensive schemes last year, whether he was chasing out at 35 feet, did not do him any favors. They're going to play a ton of zone this year, so they keep Nurk around the rim. And I think he'll be better. Like, you know, his, his, he's like an above-average center. His ceiling is something like the very edge of the top 10 in the league at his position. Um, is that worth the contract? Probably not. But uh, they back themselves into this corner. And I think, like, good Nurk has consistently raised the floor of this team to a right around league average defense. It's just bad Nurk often compounds bad play with three more bad plays and it gets out of control quickly. Yeah, that's just, I think there was definitely a time, the time that they've been respectable in these last five, six years, it's been because Yusuf Nurkic was there at the rim. I'm just not quite sure whether he's capable of being the level of intimidator that they're going to need when it looks like they're going to be funneling stuff to him. But that's interesting. You you talked about potentially playing some zone. I mean, let's let's get into what they're going to do schematically uh, on defense this year. Well, they're going to switch a bunch, which, um, sure. whatever uh, I, I mean they have the personnel to do that in some lineups i just don't love the conceit of switch when you have damon lillard and Amphrey simons on the court like i would just um because teams are going to pick on it they're going to know hey if like they're going to soft switch this the first action and so then you just get it like you just you, you concede it and you get it and then you're you're trying to scram and get out from there um, I'm not like, I think switching helps them negate some of their defensive issues. Cause it's just like, Hey, this, these are hard and fast rules, but switching everything one through five, as they did early in this preseason game is that. And, and that's with Nurkic as well. With Nurk. Right. It invites too many problems. Like they just, the Clippers did it once where they just ran uh, a Kawhi Zubach pick and roll. And the first time Kawhi got a, to shoot a three because Nurk was afraid to let him drive and took a half step back. And then, uh, you know, whatever, six plays later, Zubach got a dunk because he had Amphrey Simons on his back. Um, if you show that early, good teams see it early. Um, so I, I, I don't love the, I don't love the soft switch one through five, although they're going to do it a bunch. Um, they were really aggressive last year, trapping the ball, like really aggressive. I, I think they early in the season, one of the top teams in the league and just blitzing pick and rolls. They dialed that back a lot as the season went on. And I think we'll see less of the full on like 31 feet from the rim trapping and then trying to ask your 300 pound center to sprint back and recover. It's just too much. Um, They can do it. They can do that more when they have different lineups. So with Nurk on the court specifically, I don't think I don't love it. Um, And then they're going to play a ton of zone. They're going to play a ton of zone. Uh, They play two different zones, a two, three and a three, two. Uh, I like the idea of both Jeremy Grant and Nazir Little at that point of attack in the three, two zone. I think that adds a wrinkle that they haven't had. And, And a zone is basically a switch scheme in and of itself. So it, it plays into some of their other basic principles. 
Yeah, and Miami a couple of years ago pioneered this zone look, at least in the NBA, when you had they had two small guards with Dragic and Hero, or right. Dragic and Robinson, who's not small but is bad on defense, where kind of hide them in the corners where they just can't do as much damage. Um, you just hope that you'll be able to rebound out of that reasonably well. So and just get some length up at the top to where you feel like you're not going to be able to uh, get over the top of that defense to attack some of the guys along the baseline. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it seems like it's going to kind of be smoke and mirrors. I am, you know, part of the reason I was a little higher on this team before I really started thinking about it was I felt like, hey, this maybe their defense could be better this year. Yeah, I kind of talked <laughs> myself into that too. Right, and then, but when you really go through it, and you really go through the lineups that are going to be on the floor, it, it starts to get difficult. Uh, and you know, particularly that starting group with Lillard and Simons and like, you know, Grant and Little or Grant and Hart, like that's okay at the, at the three and the four, but it's not special. And then I would say Nurkic is about average at center these days. And so you just, you start to think of like, yeah, okay, you throw Gary Payton the second out there and you know, maybe, it, and you take one of the small guards off the floor. Now you, you've really transformed that a, a little bit. Uh, but you know how much is Gary Payton the second going to play? He's coming off this uh, ab surgery as well, and are they going to be able to get enough shooting when he's on the floor? Right. Uh, you know, I mean, he's basically is almost a center on offense, and <laughs> they is, have yeah. it. Yeah, they, they have an, guys like Lillard that he can play with. You know, this is probably the best place in the league for him to be outside of Golden State, but still, also like they don't run the same kind of motion that golden state does so sure uh, that yeah the, I, I think the the stagnation on offense kind of will mute some of what makes gary payton so special because the lane isn't just going to be as open you know they play yeah. some five out sets the blazers do they run some five out sets which just sure. get, let's open up the paint completely and that will help but if the five out set has a nurk spaced in the corner or justice winslow or whoever might be spaced in the corner it's a little bit different a little bit little bit different um you don't have the kavan looney aircraft carrier to uh to set those crazy screens and and scare people um i i want to we do have we're, we haven't talked about the offense but we saw a little bit more of damon lowered off the ball the mythical damon lowered off the ball stuff um what I, i'm curious i i am skeptical of it do you think damon lower can be an off the ball player in the nba can will he uh, uh yeah I, I mean he's got a very versatile jump shot absolutely it is a way for him to generate shots when he doesn't have to do those really hard left-handed drives that I think he's only got so many of those left in his body at this stage throughout the season. So I certainly understand the concept. He is a good shooter and I would like to see that happen. But the reality has also been previously that, well, they didn't have anyone to be on the ball when he's off the ball. Or right. if they did have him off the ball, it was Evan Turner. And as soon as Evan Turner passed it to Damian Lillard, as he came off the screen, Evan Turner's man would just go double team. So, exactly. Follow so, the pass, exactly. Um, you know, and maybe it's Simons who has it when they're running that stuff. Maybe it's doing more stuff with Nurkic, interacting with him off the ball. You know, some wide pin down type of sets as well. Like he certainly has the skill set. Yeah, they they ran it. a they ran a floppy out of uh, out of a, a timeout in the in the first preseason game for Dame. He got wide open and bricked it. Um, but they like I don't think they like I don't think they run many shooter sets like true shooter sets for him in the past. Uh, they also ran some things where it's like he would they would just run like a like you said like a wide pin down just to kind of like have someone else bring it up. But then they just they they'd be obviously trying to get it to Dame to sort of initiate the second action. And then you've just kind of wasted seven seconds and he's on the ball again. So. Um, 
Um, I, I think it's to me, I want to see Dame still like he they they had him off the ball a little bit more in the first preseason game. But um, I'm going to need to see 20 games of it before I talk about it on on the podcast. <laughs> I refuse to address it until we're in uh, till the you know first week of December. Yeah, I, I mean, it, obviously, that sort of off ball action is a different kind of shooting yeah. than shooting on the ball. Uh, but certainly, I think it's a way, uh, given what a great shooter he is for him to extend his career. I, I'm I just don't know whether he can actually make the shots, but he certainly is, is someone who should have gravity doing that. And I mean, that's a big part of, of that as well, just giving you a more varied way to attack. We got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. And just can't make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And as we get into strengths, I mean, the number one strength for this team is shooting the three-pointer off the dribble. I mean, that's just their... Close to the best team in the league at that. Yeah, I mean, if Dame and Ant are, are two of the best in the league, um, Jeremy Grant's got a little pull up to him. I mean, he's not; he doesn't shoot a when he takes pull ups. They're from two; they're from two point land. Uh, but like he can he can shoot it. I think that's absolutely um, absolutely the the ability to just have that individual offense and shoot from three is what is is the separator for him. Like if they're good, that's why they're good. Do you think they can run more this year? In theory, yeah. In theory, yeah. Like Josh Hart wants to grab and go. It's his favorite thing to do, right? Is like grab a defensive rebound and and do a straight line drive like through the middle of the key and uh, to the rim. Uh, they're also going to try to you know they're going to let Jeremy Grant push on on rebounds and things like that. Uh, it just depends on it, it depends on Dame. Like he has yeah. traditionally not wanted to run because he is was one of the five best offensive players in the league, and he was like, yeah, I'll just get up there and beat my man. Like if he's right in front of me, I'll just beat him. It won't be a problem. So I think that's. I think run maybe is the wrong way to to look at it. Will they get into stuff a little bit quicker, allowing them to be more harder to deal with? Like, I don't think they're going to be a high fast break team. Like, you know, I don't think they're going to be in fast break points, but in just terms of like early initiation, I think they can be a little bit better. Yeah, I think that you mentioned Grant, like Winslow is another guy who can push it. Yep. Gary Payton, the second can, uh, they can actually force a fucking turnover this year, <laughs> maybe with the, with the group that they have now, which is totally well, I different. Won't, I won't know what to do when I start seeing them get steals yeah. and pushing on the break. Yeah. So, so that were, I mean, that was one of the reasons they never ran is just, they didn't have the opportunities to. Right. Um, so I, I do think that the the Blazers can be better there. And Dame actually is a really good transition weapon. It's awesome. You yeah. Know, he, he's <clears throat> 
he's the one guy that you don't want to see as the opposing team when you're up six in the last two minutes of the game because he's just going to come down he's going to bomb it and you know simon's obviously can do that as well and they have some pretty good athletes on this team now nurkic is not a transition guy and dame hasn't been but really everyone else on this team should be pretty good in transition so that's something that i hope they can accomplish but as you go back and look at it here over the last few years they have ranked in terms of transition frequency <laughs> 30th 29th 29th 28th 27th i thought i, mean, I knew there was a 27th in there i knew there was they got all the way to the third worst so yeah i mean they just they just haven't they haven't done it cj mccollum's not really a transition guy he can be because he's like a pull-up threat but he's he wasn't really so yeah. like i think the personnel is there for him they had one against the clippers in the first preseason game where they ran and because they ran the defense lost dame in the corner and he got a wide open corner three out of it like they you know they scrambled to match up uh the ball circled back around and it's like hey that's an easy bucket um wh why not do that seven more times a game yeah you'd like to see that and you know, did they run a little bit more during the simon's only time or not really a little bit a little bit uh but they also had drew eubanks on the court so it's not like they're flying up and down um yeah. and, and they had no other guards other than simon's either. right it was him and keon johnson so it's like they don't they were they were playing those minutes i thought uh nazir little looked bad in his first preseason game so um hopefully he gets he gets it going i thought he just looked he just it was like trying to figure out where he fits kind of um so uh i think i think they can run and i think in theory they would be faster on that second unit if it's Josh Hart and Justice Winslow. Um, I, I think they could really push in if they go small uh, again with your boy Trent and Watford. So uh, yeah, I think they can. I think they have the potential to, uh, but it's you know it's jury's out. Any other big strengths for these guys? They're going to be trying to rely on night tonight. Uh, no, I don't know. In theory, they're, they've upgraded some stuff, but I don't think beyond just that, beyond that shooting, what, like for me, why I've kind of, I was higher on them early in the, in the off season when I, when the first uh, moves were made and I've kind of, I've dropped back a little bit just cause I don't, I don't see a lot of things that they do that are like for sure bankably above average skills. Um, I think they can be okay in a lot of things. And I think they've shored up some of their true weaknesses, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not seeing like it's, they don't have like a whole bunch of playmakers where they're like a, have a bunch of plus passers to make stuff uh uh tricky just winslow and josh hart are better passers they've upgraded those spots but i'm not sure that they're like truly above average in those places so i'm not sure that true strengths like i i think in theory just being a really good pick and roll offense and a really good long-range shooting team is really what 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 they're going to be best at I think their overall team athleticism is pretty good these days. Yeah, it, it just much it, better than it has. I mean, Gary Payton the second is one of the most athletic guards, and you know Grant is pretty good. Little is is solid at that position. Keon Johnson sharp if he plays. Simons is pretty quick, although he doesn't apply his athleticism. Yeah, that, that's yeah, exactly. And like Keon and Shaden Sharp aren't really going to play, so it's like you you do have more plus athletes on the roster. It's just um, like like you said, when you dig into who's going to be on the court, you, I start to be like, eh, okay, not I'm, yeah. I'm less excited. I I would consider Sharp also to be in the mix as a, a pretty good athlete, or at least he he plays like a good athlete with the way he pushes the ball downhill. Um, yeah, I mean, but basically you get into it just like, hey, how good can this offense be? I mean, that's the, the big question. They're going to get back to the level that they were at in 19, 20, or, you know, if they're going to be kind of more 10th on offense. And I think there's a lot of variability yeah. in really that top 15 offensively this year. I feel, uh, particularly during the regular season, I feel like I could do a better job of identifying who the best playoff offenses are going to be. But, you know, th these guys, I mean, hey, maybe D Damian Lillard, if he's still that good, he, you're probably looking at a, a team that could maybe get in the 
top five. And if yeah. that happens, this probably will be a, if not a, a solid play in team, if not a playoff team. Yeah. I mean, the problem is just like, they might be really good and end up seventh. Like they might really hit, they might be the third best offense in the NBA, yeah. but still end up seventh in the West. Like it's just, it's going to be tough. I, I, I think they have top five potential. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big believer in Damian Lillard of this season being what he was when we last time saw him healthy. Like I, I, I don't think there's a big, that crazy drop off coming. It's coming for him eventually. Um, It's, you know, uh, it, it'll be, he's, he's getting older. That's how this works. But like, I'm, I'm a pretty big believer in him being, you know, when he was fully healthy two years ago, he was one of the five best offensive players in the league. And I think even if he's dropped off a little bit, he's something like the ninth best offensive player in the league. And if you have that and the, the other weapons that they have, I think this team has their upside is the best offensive team in the NBA, more realistically, something like nine through 11. Yeah. That's and Grant gives you more ball skills at that yep. forward position than he had. Although you again, wonder of like how efficient Jeremy Grant can really be uh, creating a, a lot of his own offense, but yeah, and, and I just it's how I I agree with you. I think Dame, you know, whether he's going to be a top five offensive player or a top ten, but I think he will be in the top ten. And obviously, an injury to him would be a big problem. But yeah, just how the rest of these pieces are going to fit together offensively, and do they prioritize defense more with Gary Payton the second? And Gary Payton the second actually didn't hurt the Warriors' offense last year, but maybe that'll be the case with the Blazers when it, it's a little bit different of an ecosystem. Right. So yeah, I mean, and then the other thing too that I think we got to look at as a weakness now is, is just the depth i mean we we've hit on that particularly in the front court uh they just if nurkic goes down i mean as as flawed a player as he may be at this point they had nothing behind it yeah it's like significantly better than the other options yeah i, I mean it's it's really quite a decision from them to not add another veteran big um you know maybe they got burned by it by cody zeller or whatever um, and they're just like, eh, well, we don't want to do that. But uh, Drew Eubanks, if, if, if you know, I'm not not even significant time. If Nurk misses a weekend, if he misses like a Friday, Sunday, Monday stretch, they're playing Drew Eubanks 31 minutes a night. That's just like, that's tough. And then behind him, the only other, like you're playing Trenton Watford and Jeremy Grant, Justice Winslow at center. And so like any team with size on the second unit is going to have a distinct advantage. They're really missing size in the front court. Like I, I joked earlier, like they have a bunch of six, five, power forwards but they really do have a bunch of six five power forwards like jeremy grant has to play a ton of minutes because like even who plays four is a little bit dicey because it, it, is it trenton watford is he your is he your backup four off the bench and if he is how much can you play trenton next to yusuf nurkic how much can trenton be an off-ball guy and like still be an effective team can you do you lose some of your strengths on offense when you go that way so i i really like i like the blazers top seven i think it's good i just think they that's kind of where the depth stops um um, and that's why I'm a little bit lower on their sort of season prospects. Any chance that either Greg Brown or Jerry Walker could contribute? No. <laughs> I love it. You give it to What's wrong with Greg Brown? Like, I mean, you see him. He's supposed to be this great defensive player at Texas. Like, yep. he's got a lot of athleticism. Like, why can't he just be like a, a, a small ball backup center? I mean, I, I've, well, he's, he's not a guy whose career I've followed that closely. But, like, he certainly appears to have the physical tools to do that. He's really skinny. Like that's, that's yeah. one of the issues. He's just really thin. Um, so he doesn't have the heft he's got. A, um, I was joking last night that like, I think carbo loading has kind of gone out of style, but my man, uh, my man, Greg Brown needs a carbo load. He's got, 
gotta get that uh, pound of Alfredo pasta before the swim meet. But like it was, he's a '90s child. <laughs> um, uh, he, he was probably born like 2004, so he doesn't know what I'm talking about. But um, like he's he's just too skinny to play those spots, and his recognition on defense is really poor right now. Um, he's got some real physical gifts, but he doesn't have much of a handle, and he can't, he has he's improved as a shooter from from the beginning of the season, but he's not much of a shooter on that end. And uh, you know, he just tries to dunk everything on offense. He's very fun. I really enjoy Greg Brown, but his 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 defense, he just doesn't know where to be. His sense of where to be is is he's really raw on that end. Um, he's not going to be a contributor. Jabari Walker has really high level IQ, um, but I don't think you know at his where he's at developmentally. I don't think he can be like I think if if there's some injuries, then you can you're not. It's not the worst situation to play Walker some minutes, but um, he's you know he's he's going to take some seasoning as well. Uh, but I, I like him. He's got he's got um, he really knows how to play basketball. All right, let's get into predictions here now. And I guess we could start with this. What do you see them ranking defensively? 26th. Oof. Wow, that bad? I mean, I just, I am I am concerned that a third foul on Jeremy Grant in the first half tanks this team on defense. And I'm a little concerned that, that the Damon-Ant pairing is worse than the Damon-CJ pairing, and they've been yeah, consistent. Yeah, I, I mean, Ant is definitely worse than CJ. Yeah, sure. I mean, he he has, I'm, I'm like leaving the door open for him to get better on that end, right? But like he's, he has been very bad on defense. Um, So like, I'm just, I'm just, you're, they're going to play those guys so many minutes. And if you just play so many minutes with negative defenders, what's your, what's your like realistic upside? Like you keep talking about, oh, they'll, maybe they'll go uh, Gary Payton. Like, sure. But are they going to like, are they going to go Barry, Gary Payton to the point where they like, where Ant plays 26 minutes a night and they like play plus lineups enough to get defensive lineups enough to get there? I don't think so. Like, I think you're just, you're figuring out a math where, where both Anthony Simons and Damian Lower play 36 minutes a night and you're going to be a negative defender on that team. I think their upside on defense is something like slightly above average, 14 or whatever. But I, I really do think this is like a middle 20s defensive team. Yeah, and I'm not a believer yet in Billups as a defensive coach. I think that there are some moments where it looked better. The plan when they were trying to win early on was pretty asinine last That's year. I, mean, I know I know he came in with this idea that like, hey, we've been too passive under Terry Stotts. We've been doing this play the math, force mid-rangers things. That just didn't work. Teams were too comfortable. But I mean come on man you got to see there's a reason terry stotts was playing though i mean you know probably part, part of how he got the job was to sell this vision but yeah. i mean no like there's there's no way that was going to work it didn't work early on they were awful so uh, and i think he dialed that back and and i also think that phillips at least you know as an emotional leader that seems to have the respect of the locker room but i'm i'm not saying he can't be a good defensive coach and that they can't punch above their weight but also we haven't seen that yet i wouldn't want to count on that yet coaches get better i think it's hard yeah. a hard thing for us to kind of quantify but coaches get better i think chauncey can improve but he from what we know not not good not good to date yeah and also obviously if damian lillard there's a non-zero chance that he's just a you know a lower level all-star player this year and you know that's that's gonna tank your season also I, I mean, I'm not as low on the defense as you. I, I've got to really, today, later, I'm going to go through and really rank every team in the league. I, I tried doing it before and it was too hard, so I gave up. <laughs> but but I have to do that today. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, I'm kind of seeing them more as like a low 20s team. But it's just a, a question of, is that offense really going to be top five? I, I can't get there quite yet. Both just a few questions about Dame. I don't know if Simons can quite be that guy over the course of the full season do they have to play more non-shooters to get enough defense on the floor right it, it, i definitely 
I'm not sure I can pencil. I, there definitely is a way to get there. I mean, if you just say, hey, well, you know, Simon's is CJ and Dame's going to be Dame and Grant's better than anyone they had in the front court. Exactly. With some of these teams. Now, you know, the shooting is not amazing with Grant and, you know, Hart's only okay there. Little, like those guys are actually kind of question marks in the those three, four positions making shots. Gary Payton is going to essentially be a three for this team like that. So that the, the off-ball shooting actually is a little bit of a concern for these guys. Um, and maybe that could drive down the offense a little bit too. I think ultimately though, this seems to me like a 38 win team. I have them probably a little higher on offense than you. Um, I think they're probably like five, six, seven is what I, what I'd peg them at. And I have them as a 42 win team penciled out. Um, wow, it's so funny. Like, it seems like you've been like totally shitting on them all this entire time. And I, <laughs> I've and you're like, they're pretty good. And, then you have and now like I go 38 wins and you go with, yeah, I, I mean, I guess if, if we just, and, and they certainly could get there. So you, you said 42, right? 42. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at 38. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I generally have always got kind of gone over on the Blazers and I'm just, there's too much uncertainty with this group. I and mean, part of the reason why I would be higher on them was I'm like, Hey, we've seen what these guys can do together when they're healthy. Sure. I, I mean, and you know, the last healthy game season, they're 42 and 30 in a 72 game season. So, and I don't think that like this roster is significantly worse than the roster they had then. No, it's probably, it's probably better in the top half. Like they got better, better higher end talent than, than that. Right, I, actually, I think I might've misspoke there. They're 42 and 30 in the, uh, the 2020 season. What were they two years ago? They were, oh yeah, no, they were 42 and 30 and oh yeah, it was the, the year before that, the, that they weren't any good. The, uh, 30, 35 and 39 in the, uh, the bubble season. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, 42 and 30 the year after that. Uh, all right, well, this has been fun. Anything else that's uh, on your mind here? Or should we wrap this up? Well, let's wrap it up. Um, I love that uh, you were defending the Blazers and we ended up with uh, on the opposite sides of that 40 win mark. It's just beautiful stuff. That's why you, that's why you come to the pod. <laughs> no, actually, former Blazer executive Ben Falk We'd talk about this sometimes that when you say you'd get in there and be like, oh, I like this guy. I don't like this guy. Like, okay, well, what does that mean, right? Are we really that binary? Like, if we actually talk about, like, what concretely we are expecting, hey, maybe we're actually not that far off from each other <laughs> than when we're just using these adjectives. And uh, I, I guess that, that's uh, when we put some hard numbers on it, that's where we end up. All right, well, thanks for listening mike thanks for joining us make sure you'll check out locked on blazers particularly after that first shade and sharp fantastic performance and uh i'm sure i will make a cameo or two on locked on blazers yeah we this, this is a home and home trade well. so I'll, I'll get you i'll get you on there appreciate you nate <laughs> all right thanks mike we got another day of nba action so it's time for your fan crew to make their bets you know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.